morning and welcome to Atheist Talk on KTNF AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Good morning to all of you joining us locally by radio and streaming online. We appreciate you tuning in. Today is Sunday, June 3rd, 2018, and I'm your host, Hertzie Hertz. I'm in studio today with Joseph Holmrich, and via phone, we have Nathan Dickey from his blog, Skeptical Inquests, and podcasts, Trolling with Logic and A Leap of Doubt. Cinema has been a great communicator for the last hundred years, letting creators t- show their story rather than just telling it. Another point is the dystopian futures. Movies like Hunger Game and shows like Handmaid's Tale show a future that is bleak and worrisome. Of course, religion has taken advantage of both of these ideas, and if you look at the subsections, there seems to be a mini-genre regarding apocalypse movies, like Left Behind. Today we're going to talk about what this says about the religious's need to fill the, in the gaps of their own narrative and where they fit into history and temper the disappointment felt by the fact that Jesus has not returned. This is an open conversation, and we welcome and encourage your listener interaction with your phone calls to 952-946-6205, your emails to radio at mnatheist.org, or tweet us at at Atheist Talk. The phone number is only available when we are live, but you can always email or tweet whether we're live or you're listening to the podcast. Joseph, Nathan, good morning and welcome to Atheist Talk. Good morning. Hi. So, Hi, Nathan, thank you for having me on. Oh, no problem. All right, Nathan, you're actually the one who, who suggested this, because I was going, hey, what do you want to talk about? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so, out of morbid curiosity, which apocalypse movies have you watched so far? Which apocalypse movies? Yes, specifically the religious I've ones. Seen uh, oh, specifically religious. I've seen a lot of them, and I have... Uh, kind of a, a morbid fascination uh, when it comes to uh, the apocalypse genre, especially of the fundamentalist variety, uh, for a couple reasons. One is that uh, Christians, since about the 1970s onward, have tried to become adept at integrating with popular culture and marrying with popular culture a very sectarian worldview, which makes for a very interesting mix and uh, one uh, um, pretty interesting example would be the uh, A Thief in the Night series, which uh, uh, A Thief in the Night came out in 1972, 73, somewhere around there. And it was a major hit in the Christian community at the time. One might say it was the... Uh, the left behind of the 70s. It reached the same kind of uh, popular popularity and popular appeal that left behind uh, achieved later on. Uh, and uh, these are uh, this is a set of uh, four films made between the 70s and late 80s, and they're really frightening films. Um, they can be enjoyed as uh, kind of really campy and yet really disturbing horror films by just about anybody who has a taste for that kind of uh, filmmaking. And uh, so there's a a strange uh, marrying of highly sectarian, very uh, exclusivist uh, religious doctrine with uh, mediums-like filmmaking that um, make for uh, a really interesting experience. Awesome. So I have a question for both, for actually all three of us, technically. Um, did, did you grow up with the idea of the apocalypse? 
um, in oh, your very upbringing? Much so. Okay, Joseph. Well, you know, I was raised in a rather liberal um, Catholic family with uh, rather liberal Catholic ideas, if such a thing can be said today. Uh, I grew up in the technically midst- can because I grew up in a very similar situation. Well, that's that's wonderful. <laughs> so my parents sort of probably chose a local Catholic church that was fairly liberal in its thinking. And as I was growing up, we were taught things like, well, you know, probably the flood story in the book of Genesis you should take as a a lovely parable or a moral, and these things probably aren't true. And there was a lot of of, uh, not emphasizing the most embarrassing things in the Bible. And one of those embarrassing things was the book of Revelation, which they just (laughs) sort of tended to avoid. So um, I guess... As far as my upbringing goes, there was not a lot of discussion of that. It was sort of relegated to the the closet of embarrassment. Maybe we just shouldn't talk about that that sort of thing. So I wasn't very traumatized by it. Yeah, admittedly, uh, for the church I first we went to two churches. The first church wasn't quite as liberal. It was kind of like, well, here's the stuff. Um, the second one was extremely liberal, actually, um, but. The, the first church, the the whole idea of the apocalypse and, and Jesus coming back was kind of one of those things where it's like, yeah, it'll happen at some point. I mean, we're just not going to worry about it right now. <laughs> <laughs> so, Nathan, do you mind telling us a little bit about growing up in that environment? Uh, sure, uh, not at all. I'd, I'd love to talk about it. <laughs> um, so, uh, I grew up in a very fundamentalist Baptist congregation, and uh, in this congregation, the end times was taken very seriously. Uh, There was a heavy emphasis on literalism when it came to Bible interpretation, and that, of course, included uh, the accounts in Genesis of the origins of the universe and mankind, and uh, the flood, and the Tower of Babel, and all of that. Uh, It was... uh, embraced, uh, the literal interpretation was embraced, it wasn't shied away from, uh, it wasn't embarrassing to them, and uh, the the mindset was that if we can't believe uh, the Bible is uh, 100% accurate in everything it says, we can't trust anything else it says. And so, um, the end times were a, a heavy emphasis, especially um, around 9-11 and post-9-11, um, I recall my uh, when I was 14 years old, sitting in church, uh, when they called an emergency uh, church service uh, on 9/11, and said that essentially said that we are living in the end times. Like this is it. Get ready. And so I, uh, from a very young age, I was raised with. Uh, to kind of embrace the expectation that I I may not live to see adulthood and that the rapture is imminent and that all this stuff is very real. And actually, that's one thing, because I, I, there was a book I read not that long ago um, by a local author about growing up in the Jehovah's Witnesses. Um, I think it's mm-hmm. James Zimmerman. And they had a very similar where the apocalypse is, is right. You know, it's any second, any second. And there seems to be almost like this this back and forth I've seen because it's like the movie, I haven't watched a lot of the movies, but I listen to a podcast that makes fun of a lot of these movies. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And so... God awful movies? Yeah, that one. <laughs> Um, but it's like, they, they seem to have this idea that it's like, well, you're going to be raptured, but there's also this, you're going to die. And it's like, they, 
it's like th- there's this whole thing of like fear mongering it, but also like a hopeful thing. I'm like, okay, so which is it? Is it a good thing or a bad thing? Mm-hmm. Um, well, you know, Christopher Hitchens wrote about um, anti-theism, and he meant a very particular thing when he talked about uh, the anti-theism that he tried to formulate, and that was not only um, are the is a scriptural slash religious worldview unsupported, but we should actually celebrate the fact that it's not supported and not true, because who would want this uh, kind of uh, worldview to actually be true? Oh yeah, is it wasn't it in the Thief in the Night series that you had the scorpion scorpion horse with people faces? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, it, it was it was very. Uh, understated and yet in your face at the same time mainly due to budget constraints but the third film in that series image of the beast uh, right near the end features uh, the the shadowy silhouette of a giant locust basically with uh, a, a, the tail of a scorpion kind of hovering over a woman who's uh cowering away and uh so that's pretty much the scene that um, ends the film, and it's it's very much in your face. It's uh, kind of a uh, I, I don't know. It, it's very uh, I don't know how to describe it. It's a very strange experience watching the literalist imagination being played out on the screen in a kind of kitschy, campy 70s uh, film. Yeah, because I mean... But, the... uh, th- oh, go ahead. This, this, was something that was, this was something that was taken very seriously by the filmmakers. They were trying to portray their, uh, their worldview and their understanding of the scriptures they believed was true in, uh, in a fictional film setting. And uh, so it, it almost uh, worked against them because... Uh, actually trying to dramatize what they believed was going to happen um, made it more unbelievable than they uh, probably realized. All right, so I'm going to take a a quick sidestep here. So, Because one of the things that the the Apocalypse movies always have is they have the Antichrist. And Mm -hmm. um, as many of our listeners know, and especially our Patreons know, I have a huge interest in the Satanic Panic. So... Mm-hmm. What is the Antichrist in comparison with Satan? Because I'm always like, okay, is it the same thing, or are they like relatives? How does this work? The Antichrist in comparison to um, the the character of Satan himself. Okay, so there's different understandings and different interpretations depending on what denomination you go to. Uh, some. Uh, some Christian denominations and teachings will tell you that the Antichrist is actually Satan himself uh, incarnated as a human being or embodied as a human being, kind of similar to the way Jesus Christ was imagined to be God in human form. Uh, others will say that, uh, and this was kind of my church's teaching, Oops, that the I gotta, Antichrist... I gotta cut you is, off. Nathan, I got to cut you off right there because we got to go to a break, but please stay with us through the break and we'll return to Atheist Talk with Joseph Homerick and Nathan Dickey. Mm-hmm. 
Welcome back to AM 950 KTNF, the progressive voice of Minnesota. You're tuned in to Atheist Talk, and I'm your host, Hertzie Hertz. In studio, we have Joseph Homerick, and on phone, we have Nathan Dickey. Before we get back, however, I want to remind everyone listening live that immediately following the program, you can listen to American Atheist Viewpoint, an official production from American Atheists. Please note, you can always catch American Atheist Viewpoint by subscribing to the podcast version in iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or the podcast player of your choice. As for the here and now, if you'd like to get involved in the conversation with Joseph and Nathan this morning, you can call us at 952-946-6205. Again, that's 952-946-6205. Email us at radio at mnatheist.org or tweet us at at Atheist Talk. Or you can also go to our Facebook page, which I always forget to mention in the first segment. Um, But that is also Atheist Talk. So, Nathan, before we unfortunately had to cut you off, you were talking about the Antichrist and Satan, and that there are some places mm-hmm. where they're the same person, and then there's another point, and I had to cut you off. Mm-hmm. There's one uh, viewpoint that they're the same person. There's another viewpoint, which is the one I'm most familiar with with my religious upbringing, that uh, essentially the Antichrist is just a human being who is uh, chosen by Satan to carry out his uh, end times project or endeavor, and is uh, basically indwelt by Satan um, at the midpoint of the the tribulation period, which is, of course, this uh, period that is uh, taught in dispensationalist theology, the, the last seven years of Earth's timeline, essentially. So there's... Uh, one understanding that he's uh, just a human being indwelt and motivated by Satan, and another where he actually is Satan uh, kind of incarnated as a kind of a perverse uh, form of the, the Trinity. So, so then there's not really one where it's Satan's son? Uh, what was that? Is, is there one? Because I thought there was one where there was, it was Satan's son, too, or like his kid. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's um, uh, you find that uh, interpretation or understanding more in, I would say, the the Catholic tradition of oh. the Antichrist. Well, um, yeah, that would make sense. In my experience, it's, that uh, that's not uh, very much uh, played out in more Protestant uh, theology for whatever reason. That I'm I'm not sure. Because uh, the Catholics thought of it, and you know, the, the, there's some weird stuff between Protestants and Catholics. But Joseph, you had mm-hmm. a couple of really good questions. Yes, good morning, Nathan. I'm wondering, mm-hmm. um, in your experience, have you thought about what psychological needs that the creation of dystopian futures address, create, and fill in religion? Why does it have to be dystopian? Is it simply that they're creating a catastrophic need for which they only they have the solution? Or it's certainly not even unique to uh, Christianity. Like uh, the Vikings have Ragnarok and 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 whatnot. Um, mm-hmm. Thoughts on the subject? Yeah, uh, this is a really good question, and this kind of gets to the heart of my interest in like the the ways uh, Christians have tried to dramatize and novelize their end times theology, because uh, people in general, religious and non-religious alike, uh, humans have uh, an affinity toward uh, wanting to think about the future in terms of closure. You know, uh, humans need closure for conflict, 
And this is why dystopian uh, stories in general have become popular in cinema and in novels is because uh, there's appeal in the idea of conflict and resolution and uh, the human need to kind of have a beginning, middle, and end to our story. And this is especially uh, pronounced in uh, religious circles because uh, Christians, uh, especially those of the dispensational orientation, they, uh, they need a story, they need an overarching grand narrative to kind of order their lives around. And uh, because of the effects of modernity, science has been kind of undermining their underlying core beliefs and some of the uh, theological ideas that pop up out of that underlying foundation. And so they've, they've, they've kind of experienced this, uh, a religious form of existential angst, so to speak. So uh, they, they uh, want to uh, feel that their vision of the future is fleshed out, so to speak. There's not enough information in Revelation. There's not enough narrative structure uh, to uh, kind of fill this psychological need they have to understand exactly what's going to happen to them and to uh, the rest of the unbelieving world. So they've uh, created this grand narrative that manifests itself in things like Left Behind and in things like A Thief in the Night and in a whole host of other stories and films that have come up, uh, come out since the around the 1970s, which was kind of the beginning of the uh, the Christian storytelling slash uh, uh, Christian novel uh, era when. They would take stories from the Bible, not just about the end times, but about all sorts of Bible stories, and they would write novels and screenplays about them to kind of flesh out the gaps in the biblical narrative and give them the story they can relate to. That's so, uh, it's, uh, I don't know if, uh, if that answer makes sense. Well, on the contrary, I think that's very interesting and illuminating, and thank you very much. Yeah, I was going to say, I think God Awful Movies has done 20 apocalypse films now. <laughs> and they've been doing this for like two or three years. So, mm-hmm. it's it's a lot. Hmm. Joseph, you have another one. Uh, you yes. Have, you have the good questions today. I just have the bad jokes. <laughs> oh, thank you very much. <laughs> um, Nathan, do you find that stories like the Book of Revelation have actually led you to reason? And I'll tell you why I ask this. I've uh, had the experience that people raised in fundamentalist religions are basically in a philosophical house of cards. Like they've been told that all these stories are perfect and true and if they have any intelligence or reason, they eventually reach an age where they're able to, to say to themselves, well this obviously isn't true, this is just plain crazy. And then they have to re-examine whether all of it isn't true. What do you think? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I guess I might have uh, missed the, the question. Or do things like the the uh, Book of Revelation was that something that helped lead you to reason? Did you was there a point where you said, "Well, this is this is uh, obviously crazy and it's not happening," so therefore, mm-hmm. the, the, there was uh, uh, that that play definitely played part of the role in my deconversion and uh, um, what ultimately led me to reject 
Christianity and uh, fundamentalism. Um, there was a, it, in my particular story, there's a lot more that goes into it. Uh, I was actually uh, kind of uh, raised into an apologetics kind of culture and uh, wanted to become a professional apologist. And uh, so I had an interest early on in like defending the biblical text based on reason and evidence. And of course, that backfired when I actually took the time to uh, read into what the opposition, so to speak, was saying. the secular humanists, the atheists, the scientists. And I gotta stop um, you right and, there, Nathan. I'm sorry, but we will return shortly with our guests, mm-hmm. Joseph and Nathan, right after the break. Thank you for tuning in to Atheist Talk on AM 950 KTNF. I'm your host, Hertzie Hertz, and we're having what I'd classify as a fascinating conversation with Joseph and Nathan. Before we continue this conversation, which will unfortunately be our final segment with Joseph and Nathan, there's a bit of housekeeping I need to attend to. Atheist Talk is produced with the funding of Minnesota Atheists and Cucumbers Restaurant in Edina, Minnesota. Please consider visiting our sponsors, and if you do, let them know that you appreciate their support of Atheist Talk. If you'd like to advertise on the program and help keep us on the air, please contact us at radio at mnatheist.org. I also want to note our dedicated group of volunteers and the generous donations of you, our listeners. You'll help keep Atheist Talk on the air and in podcast form. I'd like to note our donors of the week, which is Lee and Gary. Thank you very much, and if you're able to help with a donation, please consider doing so at our Radio Fund page or at our Patreon at www.patreon.com slash Atheist Talk. Minnesota Atheist is a 501c3 501c3 tax-deductible organization, and we couldn't do the show without you, and we deeply appreciate your support. Music for Atheist Talk is by composer and member Brent Michael Davis, and is used with permission. Please note, all opinions are of the guest and host only, and do not necessarily reflect those of Minnesota Atheist as an organization. As always, check out Minnesota Atheist's website for podcasts of previous programs. You can browse articles, book reviews, and peruse the calendar of upcoming events. You can also sign up for the Atheist's weekly email, which will tell you when the, which will give you links to the upcoming events. We have a ton of activities all around the Twin Cities and the outlying suburbs. For example, today is Cucumbers Day. Joseph, are you going to go to Cucumbers? Indeed I am. That is, it is delicious. Noms. Uh, Intelligently designed uh, buffet. Um, but if you enjoy the show and all that Minnesota Atheist has to offer, consider becoming a member of Minnesota Atheist while you're on the website. Membership has some great perks. Check out the hows and whys on the website. With all that relevant and very useful information out of the way, let's get back to our conversation with Joseph and Nathan. Nathan, you we had to interrupt you talking about your the house your house of cards, and I don't mean the Netflix show. <laughs> <laughs> um, we were we were hoping you would finish your thought on that. Mm-hmm. Well, my house of cards basically consisted of uh, diving into apologetics and having that backfire because in an attempt to uh, dive into the arguments uh, pertaining to the defense of the faith, uh, and, like the, the arguments about the historicity of Jesus or creationism or uh, arguments for the existence of God and arguments for the inerrancy of the Bible, all those uh all that those clusters of subjects that fall under the umbrella of defend rational defense of the faith. Uh, when I actually uh, researched and read into what the uh, the other side was saying, what the critics 
uh, of Christianity, what the atheists and secular humanists were saying, uh, that's what kind of made the House of Cards topple for me. And the, the literalism, the stark literalism of texts like Genesis and Revelation um, didn't really... Uh, um, the, the absurdity of them didn't really come alive for me uh, until I started uh, this project of trying to defend space rationally. Because it's, it's a very interesting thing that um, religious believers, um, especially uh, of the fundamentalist variety, they they live with a a, a, a mindset that's really divorced from any kind of... Um, What's the word I'm looking for? Um, course, one-to-one correspondence with reality. They um, believe in a fundamentally different kind of reality that they're living in, and uh, where supernaturalism is kind of par for the course, and where the scientific and uh, intellectual establishment are kind of lying to you about everything. And there's a massive conspiracy to cover the truth of the way the world really works. Oh my gosh, and, I've seen that um, so much. When you're, when you're, what's that? Oh, in the in the in my other podcast, I've seen that so often about the conspiracies and trying. Everyone's covering things up, and I'm just like, y- you guys do realize how you sound, right? Mm-hmm. But it's a, it, fundamentalism is a, a really a world of their own, and it's self created because. Um, no fundamentalist takes the Bible uh, 100% literally. Uh, they, they, they pick and choose passages to allegorize and symbologize while taking other things uh, literally as uh, literal historical fact. And they pick and choose, and uh, so th- there's a, an element of uh, selectivity and selection criteria going on that's arbitrary and that varies from denomination to denomination. And so uh, there's no overarching principle. Uh, They are just as relativistic, so to speak, in their selection criteria as uh, the more liberal denominations that they often criticize as uh, being heretics. And uh, this comes out very clearly in end times novels that try to dramatize uh, the book of Revelation and fill in the gaps in their understanding and kind of titillate them, uh, because uh, some uh, end time stories written by uh, these Christian authors and groups will allegorize certain elements and not others. Um, Certainly in Left Behind, there are literal uh, locusts with heads of men, hair of women, and uh, scorpion tails. Wait, did you say hair hair of women? And yet, uh, at the same, yeah, the hair of women mm -hmm, with uh, breastplates and helmets. And yet, at the same time, uh, they do depict the Antichrist as a human being and not as the Book of Revelation depicts him as a seven-headed beast with horns that rises out of the sea. So, uh, no matter where you look, no matter how literal um, and uh, kind of stark their um, secularization of these 
spiritual principles are, no matter how much they try to drag down these spiritual ideas down to the level of stark reality, uh, which, by the way, wasn't the intention of the original writers of Revelation. They were uh, the consensus among scholars is that they were uh, writing an underhanded allegory in critique of the Roman Empire. But um, e- even with things like Left Behind, you will find that they don't consistently interpret everything literally. Uh, they they make some sacred things profound, profane, and they make some profane things sacred. And there's uh, there's no consistency or school of or uh, consistent school of thought to be found right, Joseph, among I think, fundamentalists. Joseph, I think you had another really good question. Because my question was going to be, you know, apologetics. I, for a moment, I thought you were Canadian. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so, Nathan, um, can you think of two or three of your quote unquote favorites as far as novels and stories, if using whatever criteria you wish? Mm-hmm. Um, I really do uh, have a fascination for the Left Behind series, uh, which I consider to be kind of one story stretched out over several novels, because that's the, the most clear example of uh, um, this psychological tendency played out. And uh, so um, it, reading through those novels is a study in the psychological tendency to, um, like we talked about before, fill in the gaps in the kind of vague, um, really cryptic uh, notions in Revelation and bring them down to the level of uh, a narrative about things that happen to actual people, which, uh, of course, backfires. And uh, any uh, t- take any secular person, maybe somebody who's uh, not uh, an outspoken atheist, but also who has no religious background, they're going to read those books, and they're not likely going to convert based on reading them. It's going to read like pulp fantasy. And uh, I enjoy pulp fantasy, so to that extent, I enjoy Left Behind as pulp fantasy that's very poorly written and kind of campy and kitschy. But I also enjoy some of the lesser-known, out-of-print stuff that's out there. I'm kind of a collector of uh, pulp fantasy and sci-fi in general, which means that just as a consequence of that, uh, I enjoy collecting kind of these dime store apocalypses, as I like to call them. One of them is Salem Kirbin's uh, 666, which is it's, it's, it's a different experience reading that. Um, and uh, that could be a whole show by itself. Um, Nathan, um, as your mind gradually changed on these subjects and you left... Uh, uh, a very scary uh, religion and, and turn to reason. Can you think about what you lost and what you gained? Was it was it frightening losing the surety of your religious beliefs, however frightening they were? Was it more than compensated by uh, belief in reason and, and evidence? Or have you had cause to think about that? I would say it was definitely compensated by um, the, the principles of reason and uh, and uh, an evidence-based way of thinking. Um, I uh, I felt 
as soon as I was uh, comfortable calling myself an atheist, which happened about three years after I actually left the religion itself, I, I kind of knew I wasn't a Christian anymore, but I still was an atheist. Um, I was like, well, Christianity is obviously not true, but maybe something, maybe there's still a God, that sort of thing. But uh, by the time I came to the point where I said I am an atheist, there was kind of a, a burden, a, a, a cognitive burden that uh, fell off of my mind, so to speak. And uh, there, I, I didn't personally experience a great sense of loss, and maybe that's just because uh, in my own personal story, in my own personal life, I hadn't been really connected to a church community for a while. Um, by the by, the time I was comfortable uh, identifying as an atheist, that's certainly not the case with a lot of people who come out of religion. They do feel a very real sense of loss, a loss of community, uh, a loss of family sometimes, and certainly a loss of friends. And that uh, is a, a human reality that... Uh, of course, says nothing about the truth or falsity of these uh, uh, certainties that the Church teaches. It's not so much a loss of certainty that uh, um, is kind of mentally burdensome to people and troubling. It's also a loss of a community, and that speaks to the human need for uh, companionship and uh, a social setting. Um, more than the need for certainty, uh, which humans certainly need, but not as much as um, human interaction, I would say. All right, well, we're actually going to have to end it there. Nathan, would you be interested in doing some uh, extra content after this? Uh, Sure. Awesome. All right. And Nathan, I just want to thank you uh, very, very much. You've been incredibly insightful and very informative, and uh, you've you've answered a lot of my questions this morning. And I I found you to be a very interesting guest. Well, thank you for thank you, and thank you for tuning in. We'll join us again next Sunday for another exciting episode.